Most people know how to fill in the blank to this saying. Blank comes before destruction, or blank comes before the fall. What's the word? Pride. Pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before destruction. Pride indeed leads to trouble. Uh, that is a quote from Proverbs 16.11, which says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. There are different types and different manifestations of pride, isn't there? Uh, pride that says, I don't need your help. I can do it by myself. Pride that says, I won't be controlled. I call the shots. Pride that says, I'm better than you. I deserve more than this. Pride that says, look how great I am. Adore me. Pride that says, pay attention to me. Pity me. Pride is self-focus. It's when you take the focus off of God or anyone else and say, look at me instead. That's pride. It comes in many, many different forms. And here this morning, we're going to see a spiritual pride in our text. A text that says um, one person assumed a pride, like, I must be better than somebody else. Or I have some sort of thing to boast about or to be arrogant about. Pride is a deadly and dangerous thing. Thomas Watson said, As God has two dwelling places, heaven and a contrite heart, so has the devil, hell and a proud heart. The devil has two dwelling places, hell and a proud heart. That's terrifying, but it's true. But of course, you don't struggle with pride, do you? You wrote the book on humility. Every one of us has seeds of pride in some sense. If you define pride as, and you rename it, self-focus, then you know you're guilty. Yeah, you focus on yourself. Whether it's all the time or at certain times, you're in a traffic jam, well, who, who, who are you looking out for? You. Get out of the way. Here I am. I'm important. I got places to go. Right? You're self-focused in that moment. You're proud. Or... Oh, well, you don't want to hear my sad story. You're just inviting people to ask you about their sad, your sad story. You're proud. You're putting yourself on display. You're focusing on self. We all, sometimes subtly, sometimes so little, sometimes huge, we, we all have a sense of struggle with pride in a regard. It's a heart problem that we will be brought to examine this morning. We're going to see in this passage um, some wonders and some warnings. Uh, severe warnings, actually. Not just severe uh, around pride, but we'll see it gets much deeper than that. If pride goes un, uh, unwatched, un, untaken care of, unpruned, then it can lead to some devastating effects of people who think they're okay and they're not. And so this morning we're going to see these warnings, but they're wrapped up in awe-inspiring, worship-filled wonders as well. And so... We're going to read Romans chapter 11. I'll read it for us, uh, starting at verse 17 through the end of 24. An excellent portion of Romans 11. Uh, Here is what God's word says. 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. 
They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? This is God's precious word. Let's take a a look at this in in terms of broad strokes overview to see some wonders and some warnings. And then we'll dive in and see how they beautifully intertwine so that we might be able to understand them. And and not just how this passage can merely be information uh, learned, but it can be transformation lived. Uh, Paul uses this agricultural illustration. Uh, It's a fairly simple one. To grasp, you don't need to know much about farming or about uh, trees to know, uh, to understand what he's trying to get at. He, he doesn't even get to specifics. He doesn't care if you know the specifics of how grafting works. It do, it, it's besides the point. And so I'm not going to go there. Some people go, oh, let's just talk about the tree. We're not talking about the tree. Paul didn't care about a tree. It's an image to paint a picture for you to help you to understand what God has done. What God has done. So there we see a cultivated purposeful, cared-for olive tree. A purposeful, cared-for, cultivated olive tree. There's this one. And then, there's a wild olive tree, too. Is that the one, the wild one, is one that grows outside, not in a farm, but instead in the midst of of thorns and, and thistles, off in a bush. A wild olive tree has no owner who tends to its care and to its growth. Ensuring that it's fruit producing, securing its future safety, making sure that nothing gets to it. A wild olive tree does not belong. It's wild. See these two pictures. One that is cultivated and cared for and pruned and it's protected. And it's got a purpose. It's been given a purpose. And another one that's just wild. It's out there with with no hope of of producing because no one's to care. So these two kinds of people groups is what is being painted before us. Two people groups. One who is tended and cared for, who has a purpose, who is specific, who has a a healthy root, and another one that just happened to sprout up. Who knows where? Who cares? It's two types of people. Two types of people that, that God is painting a picture of here. So which one do you think you would fall under? Well, We'd fall under the wild. Unless you have a Jewish heritage, you would fall under the wild olive tree. That would be you. You're off. No one to care. No specific purpose in terms of your growth and your nourishment. No one to, to look after that intentionally. No root system that is healthy and, and lasting. Wild. Among the thorns and the thistles. And it could die tomorrow. There's this wild olive tree. 
And he already told us in this section that he is speaking now specifically to the Gentiles. He's speaking to these people who do not have the Jewish heritage. He's directing this portion of his letter to these Gentile believers in Rome. And therefore, because we are also Gentile believers, we must therefore pay careful attention. So we begin to wonder at this illustration. We wonder at the belonging. There's a tree, a person that does not belong. That's wild. And all of a sudden, you see in verse 17, it says, although a wild olive shoot, you're grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, the cultivated one. You share in a nourishing root, a a tree you now are a part of that is taken care of and has purpose. And and you have a promise of a keeper of the garden who will then prune you and make sure you are producing fruit. And make sure you are healthy and will secure your safety. You were a wild olive tree with no owner to care for you. But we wonder at this belonging. The sense of belonging that should not be. It doesn't even make sense that this would ever happen. Why? Why a wild olive tree that has had probably bad DNA? Why graft it in? Why take it on? Why go through all that effort to bring in something that is wild and far off and probably is rough around the edges? Why welcome it into a farm? Why graft it into something that's already beautiful, already producing fruit? You wonder at that sense of belonging. And and you know that God is not speaking just of trees here. He's speaking of people. He's got His chosen people, Israel, right? That You read the Old Testament, you think, God cares for them. He cares for them so much. And yet, here we are, off in the fringes, and God says, I'll welcome you into my people. I will take you and all of your inconsistencies and all of your brokenness and your lack of heritage in my family, and I'll put you into my family. I'll graft you in. I will do that. And I will make sure that you are cared for and you're going to produce fruit. We begin to wonder at the beauty of belonging, but then you also wonder at the terrifying reality that some of the branches of that natural olive tree were cut off. It says, but if some of the branches were broken off, If some of the branches were broken off, and it doesn't just mean like an ice storm came along, they broke off and throw them away. You you know, reading verse 11 and 12 and and 13, 14, 15, up to this point, the speaking of God breaking off branches, God cutting them off. And he's speaking of his people Israel, and we learned that he did that for a reason. That for a time, in order to be able to reach the Gentiles, to you, to me, the nations, that he cut off the people Israel. Because of their unbelief. And so it says, we wonder at, at this, this natural tree, and it's God's tree, it's God's pride. And it's amazing, not a bad sense of pride, but you read, especially in Ezekiel, you read the reason why God is at work among the people. Why he says, I'm doing this among you, and I'm doing this among you, and I'm doing this among you. It's so that people might know him and glorify him. And so, now we read that he's cut off those people. You know, that's... It's heartbreaking to to God himself. These were supposed to be his covenant people who represented him well, who when people saw them and they knew that they were Jews, that they would go, praise God. God reigns. God's in charge. 
But that wasn't the case. So God had to cut them off. And so you wonder at that. In verse 11 and 12 and 15, it shows us and repeats for us this idea that they were broken off. And verse 19 tells us, they were broken off so that I might be grafted in. So that you might be grafted in. We wonder at that. At the belonging. Second thing we wonder at in an overview scope is we wonder at the personhood of God. In verse 22 and 23, it shows us three things about God. His kindness, His severity, and His power. If God were not person or personable or relatable, He would not be kind. A, an object cannot be kind to you. The wall cannot be kind to you. But God is person. And he is kind as displayed in verse 22 and 23. But he's also severe. An object cannot be severe to you. But God can be severe. So we see his personhood and then we see his power in verse 23. We wonder at the personhood of God in this text. And the third thing we wonder at is grace. In verse 23, when you read about this this, object, olive tree that has had branches cut off for this season that we're in right now, where God is reaching the Gentiles. You read of this grace that it says, and even they, even they, these people who rejected him, spat in his face, made a mockery of him, were supposed to be his people, and they walked away and worshipped other gods. Even they, he says, if they don't continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted in. Using grace, right? undeserved. They do not deserve to be grafted in. They do not. They deserve to be cut off and burnt. But it says, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. God is so gracious. And so you wonder at the belonging, you wonder at the personhood of God, and you wonder at the grace. So then with these wonders in mind, let's look at this passage in more detail so that we can see how Paul is going to address this main concern. He's warning brothers and sisters, he's warning you and I, and all future generations of Christians, against the poison of pride. Psalm 31, 23 tells us, Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but he abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. He preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. So Paul gives us warning that we ought to tremble. And then as a result, we ought to live in three positions. Humble, faithful, and fearful. Those are the three positions that we need to live in that we're going to see from this passage. Humble, faithful, and fearful. First, humble. How Ought we to live a humble life? If humility is the opposite of pride, right? It's considering others and not yourself. That's humility at the foundational level. How are we to be humble then? What causes humility? Look at verse 17 and 18. It says, But if some of the branches were broken off, and just note there, it says some. So God has not completely cut off Israel, as Paul has already made evidence of, right? He said, I'm part of Israel. So God has not completely cut this tree down. So there's only some. But if some of the branches were broken off, 
And you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, if you are arrogant, so pause there. If you have an arrogance towards anyone because you say, well, God, this is a great passage actually when, when he's thinking about election and how God chooses certain people and doesn't choose certain people. Some people can get a sense of pride in that. Like, I don't know how they could ever do that. Rather than ask, why in the world would God ever choose a broken wreck like me? Some people can get a sense of pride. Like, oh, God chose me. Obviously, I'm special. There's something about me. Um, but here it says, this, that's one sense of pride, but it says, if you are arrogant toward the branches, and maybe we're like that sometimes too, you think. When you think about Jews now, you think, they don't get it. How, how dumb are they? Right? Like, they had the patriarchs. They had the fathers. They had the, the Old Testament. They had everything pointing them to the Messiah. How can they be so ignorant? And you read through Romans, and it talks about their ignorance. And maybe there can be in that a sense of pride in us. Like, well, I'm not ignorant. I've understood. It's pretty clear. They should understand. They should know better. And so there can be a sense of pride towards the branches. That is, the, the ethnic Jews, the Israelites. But it says, don't be arrogant towards them if you are. If you are proud or arrogant in a spiritual sense or in any other way, if you are, remember. So this is how you're going to begin to chew away at, eliminate and cut out some pride. First thing you're going to do is remember. What do you got to remember? If you are proud, remember, verse 18 says, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. So in this specific example, right, he's talking about have these Gentiles maybe being proud over top of the, the Jews saying, well, obviously, you know, we're something special compared to you now, and you don't get it. He's saying, remember, you don't support them. Like, you did not flow from them. They did not join this wild olive tree. No, no, you were severed from your old, natural, broken self, and you were grafted into an existing root an existing family, an existing people of God, you were put into them. You don't support them. They support you. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're your fathers. Romans 4 tells us that, that if you're in faith, Abraham's your father. And so don't ever be arrogant towards someone else and say, I have this, this, or this. You look and say, where's it from? It's from a line of faithful believers like Abraham who believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was there. That's the root, is Abraham. And the covenants that God made to Abraham, there's the root. You don't support that root. The root supports you. So if you ever want to become proud of something, think about, okay, where did this come from? Scripture tells us often, you know, about um, what we think is ours and what we think that uh, we we are owed thanks for or praise for. says, what do you have that God did not give you? Right? Think about the source. Remember where that came from because that begins to eliminate pride, causes humility. When you remember, I don't deserve this. This is not because of me. It's not because I'm something special or my family name or my DNA. It's, that's not why I belong to God right now. 
That's not why I have what I have right now. It's not. And so you remember, why do you have it? By God's grace, you have it. And here, a specific example, through a root, a supporting root that is not you. In order to be humble, you must remember that what you have is not from you. And it's not um, you who support the root. So then, if you need to be humble in, in that regard, and you do that by remembering, you also must be faithful. Faithful. Verse 19 tells us, then, if you remember that the root supports you, then you will say, well, yeah, the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. You stand fast. You're faithful. And, and you're faithful and it's, it's not through your own effort. You stand fast. You remain in God's care and in His family through faith, not through work. You came by faith. You remain by faith. You will be eternally saved by faith, by just trusting in God. That's how it is. Because it's, it's amazing how that then produces humility. If we need humility, we remember that it's only by faith. Well, it's not based on what I did. So I can't say, well, you know, I've memorized the catechism. And so that's why I'm standing fast as a Christian. Because I know the catechism. You know, I've memorized 20 Bible verses last year. That's why I'm staying a Christian. That's why I'm in this family. That's why I belong to God. It's not through those things. Those are good things. But that's not why you're in that family of God. Remember, it is through faith. And that's how you stand fast. You don't say, I need to keep myself a Christian tomorrow by learning another Bible verse. You say, God needs to keep me a Christian. And I'll trust Him by faith tomorrow. I'll trust Him by faith. I'll trust Him by faith. And I trust in His promises by faith. That if I've confessed my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them. And that if I call on Christ, he's mine. So we stand fast through faith. We remain a faithful people. And when we do, it produces humility in us. Produces that humility that we need. We remember how we came to faith. We remember how we stay in faith. It's God. So to be humble, we remember to be faithful, we stand fast in Christ. And third, to be fearful, we, we need this fear to be faithful. Uh, end of verse 20, it says, So do not become proud, but fear. What does that mean to fear? Well, verse 21 actually helps give understanding. It says, For... If God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So fear. We often, when we read our Bibles, we want to replace that with the idea of just reverence, right? Fear means we just revere and respect God. That we should have a suitable respect for God, like a king. That's what it means to fear, always. That's not always what fear means. Uh, we want to assume that because we know that the Bible tells us repeatedly, fear not, fear not, fear not. But, indeed, we are specifically to fear God. 
And Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body and who cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him. Fear Him? Like, does that just mean revere Him, respect Him? No, it means be terrified at Him. Why? Rather, fear Him, Jesus says, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Be terrified that He can judge you. It's not just about respect or or reverence. It's about trembling at the judgment of God. Fear. There's actually a sense of fearing, of being afraid of his judgment. This is right and it's acceptable. And in our context, the idea to consider is to fear. Don't become proud, but fear. Don't become a friend of sin. Don't think it's acceptable to remain in sin. No. If you are remaining in sin, you're not fearing God. You're not afraid of His judgment, and you should be. Fear. And it tells us that that's exactly what it means by verse 21. For if God did not spare them, He didn't. He didn't spare them just because they had a a great family heritage. Or because they were, quote-unquote, the people of God. He didn't spare them. Because of their unbelief and their consistent unbelief and their unrepentance, He cut them off. And so it says, says, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Fear. Tremble at the fact that, that remaining in sin and becoming proud and staying proud and not recognizing the, the judgment of God on that is deadly. It's deadly. God calls us to repent. And if we don't, then we ought to fear. We ought to Tremble, because judgment's coming. It is terrifying to read this passage. This is a beautiful agricultural picture. But when you realize what it actually paints about branches who are cut off because of their unbelief and their unrepentance, and when he tells Gentiles also, be be careful, careful, don't become proud, don't become arrogant and stay that way. Fear, tremble before God, because He would cut you off if you're not walking with Him. If you don't believe Him. You don't obey Him. So here, people will want to cry, what about free grace? Free grace. But not on God's terms, on man's terms. Meaning that God's grace is so free that yes, we know God's grace covers a multitude of sins, as it is love. But does it cover repeated, continual, unrepentant sin? That's like saying, hey, should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? By no means, Romans says. It's foolish. It's foolish to believe that you can remain in your sin and carry on in your sin and that God's grace is going to abound over that. No, it's not. The Bible says repent. And so the evidence that someone is actually grafted in to Christ is that they are repentant. There is constant pruning of what is bad. So that's why there's this warning. Do not become proud, but fear. If you are, and that's why it says earlier, it says, if you are, verse 18, then remember. Do something. If you're becoming arrogant, if you're becoming proud, remember and fear. You don't want to incur the judgment of God. Further, it says 
in verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So then what? Note the kindness and severity of God. So take note. It's related to remembering. Understand and again remember and live in light of it. It says verse 22, note then. Remember, do you, do you know and do you understand the kindness and the severity of God? Severity towards those who have fallen. Those who are in sin perpetually. But you notice God's kindness towards you. And so when you remember, when you note these things together, that God has justice and mercy. And the only place they meet is at the cross. And so justice that you deserve is dealt with only when there is mercy that you don't deserve. It's at the cross of Christ. And when you, when you come to the cross of Christ, you see the severity of God. You see the severity of God towards sin. The darkness, the pain, the agony was not just physical on Jesus. There was two other criminals that day had the same death. It wasn't just that. It was the weight of the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the severity of God on sin. Remember that. Note it. Note it well. And note also his kindness. That those of you who are wild olive branches, he'll be kind to you. To find you, to break you off that wild thing that has no hope, has no hope of producing fruit or having security for the future. Only getting wrapped up in thorns and thistles. That's your hope. He's so kind to come and to take you and to graft you into his own cultivated tree and to say, mine. Mine. I'm going to protect this tree. I'm going to guard this tree. I'm going to produce fruit in this tree. Remember and take note of his kindness and severity. And he tells us why to note this and why to remember. End of verse 22 says... Um, but God's kindness towards you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Even then, it says, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted in, showing God's kindness, for he's the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from, by what is nature, a wild olive tree, and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? That ought to make us both tremble and praise Him. Note the kindness and the severity of God. And that helps us to be humble. That helps us to be faithful. It helps us to be fearful. All the three things that we need to live in and continue in so that we do not become proud. It tells us in the second half of verse 22, something very careful. It says, note God's kindness to you. Look at your Bibles. It says, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. And it says, then on the opposite end of the spectrum even if they do not continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted back in. So then, the idea is continue, which is related to standing fast, which is related to being faithful. Be faithful. Continue 
What do you continue in? Your work? Continue doing good things so that God is appeased just for another day to be able to keep you in his garden and not get severe and cut you off and say, yeah, enough of you. No, no, no. Continue in the kindness of God. Well, what is the kindness of God but welcoming you in, grafting you in, caring for you in Christ, and he's put you into his own family. But it says, he's kind to you provided you continue in his kindness. It's about continuing in his kindness. It's beautiful because we know in Scripture there is, there is a, a, a dual picture painted. And um, there's this thing called perseverance of the saints. Or uh, other people have called it eternal security. Uh, or once saved, always saved, right? But perseverance of the saints actually captures it best. Because it's not just once saved, always saved, no matter what you do. Right? God saves you originally and you can live however the heck you want. You're saved, right? Because you believed the gospel. You raised your hand. You did the thing, right? That's work salvation. But perseverance of the saints captures it. Because it's twofold. God is going to persevere in keeping you, provided you persevere in being kept. here's Here's the keeping of God. Right? And so we have in Ephesians chapter 1 the seal of the Holy Spirit as the guarantee. It says, In him you also heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And you believed in him. And when you did, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit's the guarantee. He has sealed you until the day of redemption. That's God's side. Also in Philippians 1.6, such a sure and certain promise that you need to memorize. Especially if you struggle with assurance. Great verse to memorize. Philippians 1, verse 6. And I'm sure of this. That he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, if he has broke you off of the wild olive tree and he has grafted you in, he began the good work in you, he called you out of darkness into light, he has taken you from spiritual death to life, old man is gone, new man has come, that's God's working. He who began that good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He'll do it. Remember that verse, Philippians 1, verse 6. But then on the other side, the persevering on our side, we read verses like 1 Peter 1 verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded. We're being guarded. We're being kept. We're being secure. How? Through faith. Through faith for salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. We're being guarded. God is guarding us. How? He uses the ordinary means of our faith, our trust in Him. And we know that faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. And so you want to have a greater trust in him and a greater assurance that you belong to God? Be in the word of God. Or John chapter 8, 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you continue in my word, if you continue believing the gospel and and living in light of the gospel that is by mercy, not by works, and that you will now be transformed by me, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Or Colossians chapter 1, 
Christ has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Listen, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, if you continue in the faith. And so then people ask the question, well, what about people who are, you know, they're in the church forever and they just kind of walk away 20 years later because they got offended and they never, they never really have evidence that they love Jesus anymore. Are they saved? Were they saved? Aren't they just backslidden? Well, John says in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, if they had truly been regenerate people of God, something that God has began in them, it says, if they were of us, then they would have continued with us. But they went out so that it might become plain that they were not of us at all. The evidence showed itself. They didn't belong to God. When they start living that way and they're continuing in that way, and it doesn't matter what they said when they were seven. The rest of their life, they they walk spitting in God's face. They have real, real, um, the real reality that they likely are not of them at all, not saved. But Jesus repeatedly says, if you abide in my word, so if you continue. And so this passage here in Romans 11 says, but remember God's kindness towards you in verse 22, provided you continue in his kindness. It's amazing. Now, don't let this make you sit here and think or, or wonder, will or can you lose your salvation? Well, no, based on that passage that John just said, they were never of us or they would have continued. It's very important to note those words. If you are in Christ, you will continue. And so a continuing person, a person who remains faithful, it is one of those fruits, one of the evidences that God has began a good work in you and he will bring it to completion. The continuing is God's doing in you. I love Jude. It's amazing. At the end of Jude, it has this verse uh, where it says, but keep the faith, basically. You need to keep the faith. You need to continue in God. And then two verses later, it says, but God who is able to keep you. So it is God who does the keeping, but you're keeping. It is a mind-swirling idea but the reality is you realize your faith is not something you produce. Something that God produces in you, if indeed you are his child. So don't sit here and wonder, well, can I or will I lose my salvation? That's not the intent of this passage. That's why I quoted the passages like Philippians 1, 6, which says God will uh, bring it to completion. But this passage is indeed a warning. It's a warning to all who are considering thinking that they can live in sin, thinking that they can continue in sin, thinking that they can just fall away and God will still be gracious. That's a warning. This is not a passage to tell you you're going to lose your salvation. It's not there. But what is there is this harsh warning that if you believe you're going to live in sin, unrepentant, that you're cut off. You're cut off. And it's not as though you were on at one point, but no, you're just cut off from God. Because you are unrepentant in your sin. But you see, that's why it tells us to note 
The severity of God. The judgment on God of an unrepentant person. Yeah, it's severe. Because they say, I don't want God. I'm doing my own thing, right? I'm a proud person, and I, I can handle this. I can be righteous. I can do my own thing. I don't need God. I don't need your Jesus. But it says, note the kindness that a person who realizes, and it says, if they do not continue in their unbelief, which means they have now believed, note his kindness. They come to God and they say, listen, uh, I give up on myself, God. Like, I got nothing to bring. I have no power in me. I have no righteousness in me. I can't get a grip of this sin. And they come to God, noting that they have not believed him, and now they, they do believe him. Note his kindness, it says. It's amazing. His kindness and severity. Note them well, so that we might fear him, we might be humble before him, and we might be faithful to him. It's amazing, this warning of this passage against willful living in sin. And not just the bad sins. You know, oftentimes people think, well, as long as i got like this thing that no one really knows about. Sometimes pride is, is hidden in the heart. You may never tell someone else that you feel privileged that God has chosen you and your family and not your sibling. But there may be a seed of it. You never know. So this is just a warning. Like God exposed sin in our lives so that we may not continue in it, but instead we would continue in the faith. Remember, there's different types of pride. The pride that says, I don't need your help. The pride that says, I don't want to be controlled. The pride that says, I'm better than you. The pride that says, look how great I am. The pride that says, pity me. Pride that says, I deserve better. Whether that's in traffic, whether that's in life, whether that's in health, pride is deadly. It's poisonous. Often we don't notice it until it's manifested itself in an awful fruit. So then, we've got to be careful and be warned. That's why the scripture tells us, in order to be humble, opposite of pride, in order to be faithful, continuing in the faith, in order to fear God, we need to remember. Remember How is it that God chose you? How is it that God saved you? How is it that you continue in the faith? It's God. I was wild. I was so undeserving. I was wrapped up in thorns and thistles. But God has done this thing. And now that he's brought you into his family, stand fast. Stand fast in faith. Say, I I trust in you, God. I trust that you are the one who is in me, at work in me, and producing fruit in me. Stand fast through faith and fear him. Fear him, realizing that if you begin to believe a lie in your heart that says this sin is okay, that God's going to be okay with this sin, that this sin is excusable, fear. Because you may believe yourself to be a part of this tree, but fear. Read the many warning passages of those. Matthew chapter 7 is the one that I replays in my mind repeatedly. These people who thought because they did certain things that they died and they came before the throne of God and they said, Lord, Lord, right? We, we know what to say. We said that sinner's prayer. We did the baptism thing. We went to a Billy Graham crusade. Lord, Lord. We even did some things. You know, we did some mission trips. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me. You're deceived. That ought to make us fear and go, man, God, I need you to keep me in the faith. I need you to expose sin, to cut out sin in my life, to prune me as a part of your olive tree. Cultivate me. Fear God. So take note.
continue in His kindness. Continue in the mercy of God. Don't continue in, in, a, in a sense where you think, I need to work at this. Continue laying yourself down before the cross and realizing that there the severity and the kindness have met of God and just worship Him for it. How undeserving is every single one of us who has a slice of pride in it. You got pride, I got pride. But we can lay it down before God and say, as devastating as a sin, even like pride is, because pride's spitting in God's face. Pride's our self-focus, not God-focused, right? As, as brutal as that is, Jesus would take that on. He said, call me proud. Call me a sinful, pride-filled man. Punish me for that so that they may be free. So that I might show my kindness towards them. My love towards them. That is the branch who I have chosen out of that wild thicket. And I've grafted them into my family and I've provided them a nourishing root and I'll indeed keep them. Let me pay for their sin. Let the severity be poured out on me so kindness will be shown to them. Remember that. That just causes nothing but awe and wonder. As you read of this agricultural illustration of two olive trees, and you realize just the beauty and the majesty of God at work in the salvation of you, of me. Wild olive branches. Let's just give thanks to God. Oh God, you are you're perfect in all of your ways, and so when we insist on our own way, We're proud. You are all wise. You are worthy of our affection. You are all satisfying. And so when we desire satisfaction in things in front of you, God, we're we're proud. We're self-focused. We take the, the glory off of you, the fame that's owing your name, and we live in it. And so, God, that's why we confess even now. God, we are a proud people. Among many other things, there's many other sins in this room, sins in our hearts. Um, God, we confess them to you. We are sinners. And, and towards sin is severity. And it's right. Your justice and your judgment towards sin is good and right and acceptable. God, we deserve nothing but separation and death of torment and torture because of our sin towards you. God, we are so thankful for the gospel of Christ. We're so thankful that severity is not all there is to the person of God, that there is indeed kindness. God, thank you for the gospel that for those with ears to hear, we hear you calling us in kindness, you taking us out of our brokenness and our broken situation and you grafting us into your family through faith in your way. Christ and his cross. God, thank you. Thank you that the cross of Christ was not the end, that he was raised to life in order that we may be justified and also recognizing that that gives us hope for a future. This is not just a past event, it is present and Christ is alive. Hallelujah. So God, we need your help. God, we don't want sin in our lives, any of our sins. So, God, we confess them to you and not just confess them. God, we want to run from them. We want to repent. We want to flee from them so that 
you might get the honor and the glory and so that we might be shown that you are at work in our lives to be continuing in the faith. God, help us to tremble at your word. For your honor and glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.